We made it. Great to have you company. Good morning to you. It's Friday. Yes, we love Fridays. Something very special coming up uh, after 8 o'clock this morning. I know it's a, a ways away, but if you could stick with us, that'd be great. Our first happy hour of 2021. And today we are featuring a brilliant, beautiful, young Australian Vietnamese talents, Van Nguyen. Brilliant classical concert pianist. Uh, for a bit of fun, we'll play a bit of her music as well. So that's on the way. That's after 8 o'clock this morning for the first of our happy hours for 2021. Great to have your company. Uh, it is, of course, what, the fifth day of February now. And there's a little bit of news around. I'd love to get your thoughts. 131269 is the open line number if you'd like to send me, uh, would like to give me a call. If you want to send us a text, 0458 049 209. And if you want to send an email to the program, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Here we are at 12 and a half minutes after five. Give me a call, 13 12 69. Yeah, that's my telephone number. Uh, now, hundreds of Western Sydney residents are discovering their homes are not their castles. As the New South Wales government threatens to use environmental legislation to deem their land green space, rendering it worthless. Now, we've, we've touched on this and we've been trying to get in. How we go with that local Liberal MP? Nothing. Didn't call back. Nothing. Zip nada. All right, we won't worry about her. Uh, I think she just likes talking to the other mob. That's fine. Planning Minister Rob Stokes' vision for the new Western Sydney Aerotropolis to be Parkland City has set up a so-called David and Goliath battle akin to the cult movie classic The Castle. So residents living north of the incoming airport were horrified by a state government proposal to designate huge chunks of their property's green space, such as bushland and parks, a move that will drive down their value by millions as developers zone in on land primed to build on. Yep. While fictional characters in the castle argued about compo for the acquisition of Daryl Kernigan's home on just terms, under the New South Wales Environmental Assessment Act, the state government is relying on the land uh, being designated green space without compensation. Well, why? That's pretty greedy, isn't it? Ludnam residents Rob and Deb Heffernan say more than three hectares of their 10-hectare home would be left valueless by the proposals. After maps revealed a third of their property would be considered uh, parkland, meaning neither local council nor state government would be required to purchase it. The rest of their land has been zoned for enterprise. Wow. Uh, They're not against the airport, these people. It's just unfair to the little people. Uh, that's what Mr Heffernan's told News Corp. He says, it's like we're giving away part of our land for free. At the end of the day, we just want a fair deal and we're not getting that. So uh, we'll try and get somebody on about it today, maybe the opposition. I don't know why that local Liberal MP is not coming back to us. 
Unbelievable. All right. What's the name again? I can't remember her name. We've tried three times this week. Phone calls, emails, all the rest of it. We might go to the opposition then. Why not? We always seem to have to. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number. I'll put some detail up on our social media account about that story as well. I just find it beyond the pall uh, that uh, a state government can treat people in Western Sydney like this. I mean, they're going to make a mozza, an absolute mozza, regardless of whether they rezone green space or not. The state government, I mean, it's unbelievable. They're really unbelievable. They don't give a shit. It's green space when it's green space. You can't move the goalposts on people who have already probably paid a crap load of money in stamp duty in the first place just because you want to save a few bucks on your compulsory acquisitions. I mean, how much money does this state government want to extort out of the people of New South Wales? This is exactly what this is. It's almost extortion. Changing the goalposts before the game is over. Anyway, if you know somebody out there, um, please give us a call, 13 12 69. Maybe you yourself are affected by this. We'd love to talk to you here on the Breakfast Program. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Alrighty, um, now, what else is making news this morning? Uh, do we have to talk about Craig Kelly again, do we? Look, I was interested to note that apparently yesterday... Uh, we had a caller to the laws program in relation to broadcasters perhaps suggesting that there are alternatives to the official vaccinations which will be made available across Australia in the coming weeks. Um, I heard the call and I'm, I'm kind of glad now hopefully we can put that all to bed. You can't imagine the rubbish, the emails and the nasty texts and all the rest of it that I copped when I said we shouldn't be listening to people like Craig Kelly. Well, now Lawsy's backed it up. All right, now John Laws has even backed it up. So hopefully that's the end of the debate. I did say it's not about cutting down someone's free speech. It's completely and utterly about the health of our listeners. And I'm sorry to say the official health advice is that these two other steroids, or whatever the hell they are, are not recommended at this point. When they are, well, then it's a different story. Then you can talk about it to you till the cows come home. But right now, as it sits, they are not. Craig Kelly, as you know, has been pushing it. Uh, there are people out in the media that support Craig Kelly. I, I saw someone on Sky News yesterday afternoon trying to de deflect and dismiss Craig Kelly. What's his name in the afternoon on Sky with the glasses? It's like him and Craig were separated at birth almost. There was a lot of love between him and Craig. Maybe they're best mates. Anyway, he look, he come across as a buffet as well. Sorry, you're in the tiny, tiny minority. And again, it's all about what is important in relation to the health of people in Australia and in, in my case and in Lawsy's case as well quite clearly yesterday from what I heard he says follow the doctor's advice well there we go follow the doctor's advice it's as simple as that it's what we need to do that's what we pay these people uh, you know and all these bureaucrats and 
chief medical health officers for to provide us with the advice. That's what they've done. That's why we should follow it. It's 19 after 5. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have you company. Well, dads certainly believe in love, and I've got a note here from Matty. Uh, Matt would like to send out a lot of love out Orange Way uh, to his beautiful kids, Abby and Chelsea Cross. All right, Dad says he loves you and misses you terribly. All right, that's for Abby and Chelsea Cross. Dad says he loves you and he misses you terribly, and hopefully he can see you again soon. Good morning, Judith. Good morning. How are you? Doing a good job. Thanks, Doug. Still alive. Well, I hope so, Judith. Yes. Well, I'm 78 years of age. Yes. One of the constitution is a man shall not be deprived the right to make a living, right? That's true. This, this land you're talking about, right, Orchard Hills, that's farmland. Yep. And I think the people should begin to take up big petitions, and go to the Governor-General. Well, look, maybe it is headed the way of the castle. Um, you're absolutely right, Judith, and that's the analogy in the paper today, and uh, people out there at Orchard Hills are annoyed. I don't think it's fair the state government can rezone land ahead of compulsory acquisitions just so it can save a few dollars. Look, I know that... Oh, I don't think they're trying to save a few dollars. I think they're trying to do the people out of what's rightfully theirs and to make a big plunge of finances for themselves. For well, that's what I mean. They're trying, yeah, are. well, same thing, Judith. I mean, by, well, yeah. by not paying... But I, I what, believe this, yep. Marcus. Look, it's their land. They worked hard for it. They paid for it. No one has the right to pull the carpet out from under their feet. They have to fight this tooth and nail and can't allow these people to stand over the top of them just because they call themselves members of the parliament or government, whatever they want to say. The Governor-General is higher up over them. Yeah. And as I just said, one of the constitution is a man cannot be deprived of making a living, and that's all farmland, Marcus. Well, look, yes, it is farmland, but I understand that these acquisitions need to take place. Actually, to an extent I do. I don't understand why at Orchard Hills they need to buy up so much land if uh, if they say that it was just going to be a, a train station for the new metro. No, now, I suspect devious there, Marcus. Well, I don't know if it's devious. Maybe they want to build all units and make a big well, there you, go. you don't know. Well, look, I, absolutely I know. That's exactly what Neither they'll do. do. I. But we cannot. Look, if we start to allow people, yeah. no matter who they are, yep. to crush us under their feet like the communist countries, right? The people are crushed under their feet. I've seen secret documentaries. I know. All right, you're going too far now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, we're not a communist country. Thanks, Judith. All right, I'd, I can deal with all that rubbish. Um, uh, without all that rubbish, as we go on and talking about communism and all the rest of it. We're not a communist country. We're, we're a, a pretty damn good democracy. We just need to keep a, a tight rein on some people who would look to take advantage, financially or otherwise, of others. And I think that's a clear case of what's happening out here in Western Sydney. There's no doubt. Anyway, we'll try and get somebody on about it. Uh, and again, if any locals are out there... We'll try and uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you know somebody who's affected by it, 
Uh, perhaps we'll, we'll even search some of the local Facebook pages. I know there are pages on this, Justin. Maybe we can get somebody from there on. Um, alrighty, 13 12 69. If you'd like to have your say, it's Marcus Paul in the morning. I'd love to hear from you. Um, what else is going on? Oh, a little bit, pieces. I, I'm going to play this. Uh, oh, no, I haven't got time. I wanted to play it across the network. The John Laws promo. We had a really good call yesterday, did Lawsy, from uh, a caller whose, sadly, young daughter had a stroke at the age of nine. But she communicates through or via a... We've got to call their scruffles. She communicates through a uh, computer. Amazing. Anyway, I'll play that audio for you after 5.30. The latest new sport and weather is coming up next. Bye to our Newcastle listeners. We'll catch you again on Monday. Marcus Paul in the morning. 2SM Sydney weather. Mostly sunny today with a slight chance of some showers and a thunderstorm in the afternoon and northeasterly winds. We're heading for top temperatures of 29 degrees in the city and 32 in the west. Looking further ahead, showers and possible storms Saturday. Mostly sunny Sunday and showers Monday. At the moment in the city, it's 21, Bankstown 22 and Richmond 19. That's the latest 2SM news. I'm Michaela Savage. Now back to Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The Labor faithful out there want to hear policy from you. What are your alternatives to what ScoMo and his mob are doing right now? We will continue to roll out policies between now and the next election so that everyone will see clearly what the suite of alternative policies that a Labor government would implement to make the recovery even stronger. We're bringing you all the news and the views. There will be discussions about what the job seeker payment per day should be. Marcus, as much as I enjoy speaking on your program, today is not the day for the announcement. They can't afford to drop it down either at the end of March to $40 a day. That will produce real hardship. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, it's Friday. Welcome back to the program. 13 12 69 is our telephone number if you would like to say hello. Let me know what's on your mind. At 20 minutes away from 6 now, uh, 20 to 5 uh, for those stations still with us in Queensland. Uh, now, Kids and mobile phones. We know that kids can't do without their tablets. Yesterday, actually, I hopped on public transport around school knock-off time. And I was on a train, and I was travelling away from the city, and I was on a carriage, and I, I just managed to look at all of the school kids that had hopped on. Every single one. There were about 30 to 40 kids on this carriage. Every single one had a mobile phone in their face. They weren't talking to each other, or maybe a couple were, but pretty much 99.9% of them had a phone stuck up into their face. Anyway, parents love these new so-called lock-up pouches being used at Western Sydney schools to stop the kids using their smartphones in class, but the kids hate them. Surprise, surprise. Each morning when students arrive at school, they lock their phones into their own pouch and can't unlock them until the end of the day. 
when they tap on unlocking magnet stations located throughout the school. Students to introduce the technology, or schools rather, that, have, that are using these lock-up pouches so far include Moorbank, Canley Vale and Fairvale High Schools. Mum of five, Kylie Gilhooley, has told News Corp the pouches were a great idea to keep her Moorbank High daughters, Abriana 16 and Isabella 14, focused in class. But apparently her Year 11 daughter, <laughs> Abriana, disagrees. She says, I think it'll be pretty annoying, especially queuing up at the end of the day to unlock my phone, she said. Secondary Principals Council President Craig Peterson. Maybe we chase up Craig this morning, scruffo. Secondary Principals Council President Craig Peterson said the pouches would help prevent distractions and had been highly effective when trialled at regional schools in 2019. But the Central Coast Council of PNC's President Sharon Brownlee warned the pouches would encourage students to be quote-unquote sneaky. <laughs> what do you make of it? Love to, I think they're a great idea. I'd love to hear from you. See, I, I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't, it wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around or try and chat up girls or something. Anyway, there, were no, there was none of that technology. The kids don't need it to survive. But they'll probably tell you and I otherwise. <laughs> All right, on the program this morning, just after 7.30, Mark Latham, One Nation leader in New South Wales, will join us. He wants to talk about coal jobs, Craig Kelly and Israel Folau. No doubt plenty to say on all of that with Mark Latham this morning. And at around about a quarter to eight, Richard Miles, federal MP. He's had a lot to say in recent days in relation to manufacturing. He says we need to be a nation that makes stuff again. And I agree. So that's on the way this morning. There are out two major interviews. And then after eight o'clock, happy hour for the first time. In 2021, and we're going to catch up with the Australian Vietnamese pianist, classic pianist. She's brilliant. Her name is Van Nguyen, and she's performing at the moment uh, in the Candlelight series at places like the Hayden Orpheum at Cremorne, whereby uh, it's the, the stage area is completely full of candles bar a gorgeous white baby grand piano. Uh, it's just amazing. And what they do, um, Van and Van Nguyen, and her, uh, usually she has a cellist with her, uh, they perform classical music, but the one I saw last week was amazing. You know, when you think classical music, ooh, some people sort of go, oh, no, it's not really my thing. But we all know the theme to Jurassic Park. We all know the theme to Jaws. We all know the Star Wars theme and all the rest of it. That's what they play. And just to see the talent, I mean, it's amazing, amazing. It's, and I, I, I commend it to anybody, anybody who, uh, you know, at first, I mean, I got taken there by my girl. And at first I'm, ooh, really? I mean, of course I go because it's the kind of bloke I am. But I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Maybe it was the fact that they, uh, you know, were playing 
movie themes? I don't know. Anyway, um, she's wonderful. She, uh, I spoke to her yesterday and she'll be on the program just after 8 o'clock this morning. Let's have a little look at the weather for those stations that uh, stick with the program after 6 o'clock New South Wales time. For Sydney today, we've got mostly sunny conditions. Beautiful morning out there. Slight chance of a shower. Uh, the chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Winds northeast 20 to 30 kilometres an hour and tops in the city of 29 degrees which means it'll be even hotter out west, of course. Good morning to our listeners in Bathurst and Orange. Hello, uh, listeners on 2EL. Orange, for the central tablelands today, for you, partly cloudy. The medium chance of showers in the south, uh, pretty much zero chance elsewhere. The chance of a thunderstorm in the late afternoon and tonight as well. Uh, winds nor'easterly, 15 to 25 kilometres an hour, and tops of 27 degrees for Bathurst and Orange today. Hello there up on the mid-north coast, you lucky devils. Beautiful Friday, mostly fine and sunny. Slight chance of a shower maybe in the north and tops of around 28 degrees for Port Macquarie and for Coffs Harbour. All right, I see that um, US President Joe Biden and our Prime Minister Scott Morrison have spoken for the first time. So... Bido has had a chat to ScoMo, which is good. I'm not quite sure what was on the agenda. I'll find out for you, but I've just noted that coming through this morning. Look, a large search operation is underway for a missing spear fisherman on the mid-north coast. Emergency services will resume their search this morning for this missing man who was swept off rocks while spearfishing with his son yesterday. Emergency services were called to Laggers Point near Trial Bay a trial by jail at Southwest Rocks after reports of spear fishermen had been washed off the rocks at around one o'clock yesterday. Police have been told the 53-year-old man and his son were spearfishing in nearby water when a large wave pushed them onto rocks. The older man was swept back into the water a short time later and sadly hasn't been seen since. Boy, oh boy. So a large-scale search operation is underway with officers from the Mid-North, Mid-North Coast Police District. The water police will be involved, the Westpac Rescue Helicopter, calling everybody, really. Marine Rescue Ambos, Surf Lifesavers will be involved, local lifeguards as well. Uh, look, I'm really, really hoping for a positive result here. It worries me. We had a similar incident, did we not, with a, a young bloke, a 20-year-old bloke uh, just I think a couple of weeks ago being swept out to sea by a rogue wave uh, and that of course happened at the break wall at at, uh, was it Coffs yeah it was yeah anyway this this fellow that's missing this 53 year old spear fisherman was last seen wearing a blue and green full-length wetsuit with a yellow tipped snorkel and one black flipper Uh, look we'll get an update on this search as soon as possible it's a concern. It really, really is. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, great to have your company. Uh, 13 12 69, our telephone number. Look, two men have been charged following a serious assault and wounding at a correctional centre on the mid-north coast. Uh, just This happened back in December, on the 19th of December, in fact. 
At around about midday, uh, police alleged two inmates, then aged 20 and 23, armed themselves with makeshift weapons and held two New South Wales correctional officers against their will within a room at the facility near Kempsey. Jesus. One officer managed to escape a short time later and called for additional resources. Police will further allege the remaining officer was assaulted and stabbed several times over several hours. Crikey's. Following negotiations and assistance from the New South Wales Correctional Services Special Operations Group, the situation was resolved shortly before 6pm. The correctional officer was treated at the scene by AMOs before being taken to Port Macquarie Base Hospital for treatment to a fractured eye socket, a punctured left lung, multiple lacerations, bruising and significant chemical burns. Anyway, uh, Mid-North Coast police officers are investigating this incident. Following their inquiries yesterday, uh, detectives attended Goulburn Police Station and arrested two men, aged 20 and 23. They've been uh, whacked with a stack of charges. I mean, these blokes have been put into the, uh, the, the highest maximum security jail we have in the country, Supermax in Goulburn. That's why they've been taken to the Goulburn police station. Uh, They detained a a person in company with intent to obtain advantage. They caused wounding, grievous bodily harm with intent to murder. A whole range of offences. Both were remanded in custody to appear at Kempsey Local Court via audio video link on Monday. That's this coming Monday. So this story, um, there's a little bit more to it. This is the official police release. Uh, but I've heard through the grapevine, of course, that, you know, there's a real anger here from the Corrections Minister of New South Wales on how this could have happened. So basically what happened, um, allegedly, is that two inmates aged 20 and 23, arming themselves with weapons, held two of the uh, prison officers captive in a room at the jail near Kempsey. For goodness sake. Now, let's hope that if these blokes are found guilty of this crime, whatever sentence they're given is not served concurrently. It's tacked on to whatever time they're already spending in jail. I mean, you'd think that these two blokes should probably spend the rest of their living days in jail. I know they're only 20 and 23, but for goodness sake. Again... It's like something out of a movie, isn't it? Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello, Glenda. Oh, hi there, Marcus. Uh, first time caller. Thank you, sweetheart. Yeah, I just uh, heard you talking about those, the phone lockdowns. Yeah. And I'm from the North Coast now. My two grandchildren, 13 and 14, go to a, a public school here on the North Coast. And they've yep. had it ever since last year then. I don't know if it's the same thing they're doing, going to do in Sydney, but mm. they've had to hand their mobile phones in and they've been turned off at the end of the day they get them back um yep. if there's any problem at school you ring the the office um they don't like it of course but no, of course all got, yeah but i play a game with them they've always got their phones in their ears 13 and 14 girl <laughs> yeah, and boy of course but if i want to say hello to them sometimes i just get my mobile phone and pretend i'm i ring them 
or I send them a text and say, I love you. And they sing, but yes, love you, Nan. You know, yeah. we did that all the time. Look, there are, as, really I said, as I said yesterday, I hopped on public transport. And every single child, bar one, I think, mm. yeah. had, had the phone up in their face. And this was after school. All right, Glenda, thank you for letting us know. Look, I know a number of schools are trialling it. I think it's the way to go. Mobile phones have no place in the classroom when the kids are supposed to be paying attention to the teacher. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. All right, hello there. Welcome to the program. Um, G'day again if you've already been with us for the last hour. It's great to have your company on this Friday. It is the 5th day of February 2021 and there's a bit of news about, uh, you might have caught this with Michaela in our national news a moment or two ago. Uh, This is elder abuse, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, alleged anyway. We've got a bloke now who will face court after being charged with allegedly committing over 350 fraudulent transactions amounting to over 10 grand involving two of the most vulnerable people in our society, two aged care residents in Marsfield. And it happened last year. Now, last December, Ride Police received info that a number of fraudulent transactions had occurred in relation to a residence of the facility, the I think it's a day care, or sorry, an aged care facility at Marsfield, So they started investigating. Now, detectives attended a house in Blacksland Parade Eastwood and they executed a search warrant where they arrested a 35-year-old man yesterday morning just before 8 o'clock. The bloke was taken to Riot Police Station and charged with two counts of dishonestly obtaining property by deception. The allegation is that the man took credit cards belonging to an 87-year-old woman and an 88-year-old man at the aged care facility and then went and used the card some 376 times. Now, these fraudulent transactions totaled over $10,000. But here's the kicker. This bloke was granted strict, uh, strict conditional bail. Why? Why did he get police bail? I don't know. Anyway, he was granted strict conditional bail and will reappear at Hornsby local court on Wednesday. Uh, So I think it's next Wednesday that he'll be back in court and hopefully we'll be able to name this alleged grub, this alleged thief, this person who, in my opinion, has committed elder abuse. Imagine that. 376 fraudulent transactions on two elderly people's credit cards. I don't know whether this bloke was a a worker at this aged care facility or not. Probably was. Anyway, we'll get more details about it. Look, Labor's spokesman for Western Sydney, Greg Warren, will be on the program just after 6.30 with this pushback story over land acquisitions for the metro out in the uh, the new Aerotropolis area of Badgeries Creek. The story is at Orchard Hills, a number of landowners are very, very unhappy. Green and mean, you know, land rezoning renders homes worthless. 
Hundreds of Western Sydney residents are discovering their homes are not their castles, with the New South Wales government threatening to use environmental legislation to deem their land green space, rendering it worthless. It's ridiculous. And it's greedy. And it's on par with this mob in New South Wales currently in Macquarie Street. I mean, when, when does it all stop? When does it all stop, Gladys? Honestly. How can you move the goalposts on these people out there in Western Sydney who have farmed land at Orchard Hills for generations? Why are you now looking to... Re- well, I know why you're looking to rezone their land so you don't have to pay top dollar for it. And if you're not going to pay top dollar for this land out in Western Sydney, these people will have to relocate somewhere else. It's not fair. It's unfair. And I can understand now why there are correlations between this and, you know, the Australian movie classic, The Castle. Unbelievable. Anyway, we tried to get the local member, the Liberal. Now, apparently, she's gone against her government on this. We've tried to get her on the program, but I mean, they haven't even bothered returning our calls. What's her name, Scruff, again? You've got the detail there. Maybe she's been told to put a lid on it by the Premier. I'm not quite sure. But um, that's disappointing in itself. We wanted to speak to the local Liberal MP out there who represents constituents in Western Sydney, out at Orchard Hills near Penrith, and they can't even give us the courtesy of a return phone call or even a message saying, no, not available, sorry. So does that mean she's being gagged by the Premier? Probably has been. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Uh, all right, I think we may have upset somebody. Our hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning Facebook page has been hacked, meaning that essentially we've lost all of our content from this year. This is annoying, absolutely it is, uh, but we won't be perturbed. We'll continue to push on fighting against corruption, unfairness and mismanagement of taxpayers' money. That's what we do, that's what we'll continue to do. Um, but anyway, we've put some extra security in place, but it's very annoying. I mean, we had some really good content, interviews, etc., on our page during the last few weeks since we've been back, essentially. We've lost everything from this year. Interviews we've done, videos we've put up, and look, I know on our social media, we are reaching, on average, 500,000 people every 28 days. It's one of the most... uh, interactive pages in commercial radio, even though we've only got 12,000 followers. We haven't lost all the followers, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Anyway, so if you you were trying to log on to our page, apparently we we fixed the issue, or we hope we have, but we've lost a lot of content, so our apologies for that. I noticed yesterday uh, the post that I put up in relation to these two young women alleged to have kidnapped another woman and stabbing her and heading toward the Blangelo State Forest, that post alone went viral. Last time I checked, let me have a look, I screenshot it when it was up to 180,000 people who'd interacted with that post alone. Incredible. More than 1,500 comments and 
uh, and likewise shares. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Maybe we upset too many people. Scruff. I think that's what's happened there. But anyway, um, we'll still keep the reach, which is fine. But And certainly all of our supporters and those who follow us and like us on social media, you're all still there. But unfortunately, the content that we had in the last month is now gone. So effectively, we're starting from scratch again. Not to worry, we will not be perturbed. We'll continue to push on fighting against BS, unfairness and mismanagement of taxpayers' money. That's what we do on this program. A couple of people have been in touch with me in relation to GetUp and some comments that I made yesterday after a caller. Uh, the bloke rang said, Marcus, do you support GetUp? Well, of course I support GetUp. I support anybody who's out there fighting the good fight against uh, the monopoly that we have with the Murdoch press and the love that Murdoch and 2GB and others seem to have for the Liberal National Party. I mean, that's the reason they've got away with so much. So, yes, if an organisation like GetUp is out there trying to fight the good fight and outline some of you know, the mismanagement and corruption and rubbish that's gone on, then I don't have a problem with it. I mean, they are nowhere near as powerful as Rupert and his mob. Anyway, uh, I'm not really worried about the, the people that are concerned about my supporting of GetUp. There's no funding involved or anything. I don't even know anybody within the organisation. But, yes, naturally, of course we do, and on this program, support anybody who puts up a fight against... What's been going on? By the way, Tanya Davies, who's the member for Mulgoa, Tanya, 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 Tanya. We've uh, called your office. You asked us to send an email, send our details. You know what we want to talk about, but you keep fobbing us off. Why? Has Gladys told you to shut up? Has the Premier, Tanya, put a, a gag on you from talking to the media about what's going on out there in Western Sydney. I think maybe that's what's going on. I can't think of any other reason that you wouldn't want to talk to us. So we'll talk to your opposite then. No problem. Greg Warren on the program very soon. Alrighty, uh, also on the uh, show very soon, Mark Latham, just after 7.30, Richard Miles after 7.45... And then after 8 o'clock this morning, we're into happy hour. Speaking of happy, I'm going to play a little audio um, that we normally air here on 2SM in Sydney. It's a promo for Lawsy. And his show yesterday was amazing. It really was. And what was so good about it is that he spoke to a young woman. Well, (laughs) when I say he spoke to a young woman, a nine-year-old who'd suffered a stroke. Poor darling. Anyway, she operates and communicates via a computer. I think this is the audio. Imitators come and go, but there is only one John Laws. Well, now an inquiry into regional and rural hospitals has heard about numerous deaths that are considered now to be avoidable. One account was the shocking death of a young man. He had an infected toenail. 
He was turned away from a rural hospital emergency four times and then he died. Let's hope with the pandemic and these ongoing health gaps in the regional and rural town, let's hope the lessons are learnt very quickly. I've got a very beautiful girl here named Veronica. Unfortunately, she has suffered a stroke at the age of nine and she's a wheelchair-bound girl. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Good morning, Mr. Lott. My name is Veronica and I come from North Ride. I just wanted to say listening to your music makes me feel happy. Ali, that was a very nice call and I appreciate uh, you making the call on her behalf. The John Lewis Show, weekdays from 9 a.m. on 2SM. So, how good was that? Veronica, her name is. And did you hear the way uh, that she has to uh, interact with people? Like Stephen Hawking style? Isn't that amazing, the technology these days? Anyway, uh, that man, uh, Veronica's father, sounds like a, a dear man, doesn't he? I mean, imagine what he's been through, the poor fella. Very, very difficult. Okay, thirteen twelve sixty nine. the telephone number if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul, in the morning. Don't forget, for those up on the mid-north coast, if you see um, a lot of police and emergency activity today, it's because this large-scale operation, this search, continues for a missing spear fisherman. He was swept off rocks, the 53-year-old, at Laggers Point near Trial Bay Jail. At Southwest Rocks yesterday. We are hoping for a positive result here. It's not been good with people being swept out to sea on the mid north coast in the last few weeks. Remember, we had that 20 year old young fellow who was washed off the break wall at Coffs Harbour. Just an awful situation. Anyway, our fingers and toes and everything are crossed for a positive result there. Give us a call. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Another issue that we've been talking about, it's in the uh, the press today, and that is kids and mobile phones at school. Now, we know schools returned, and parents are loving these new so-called lock-up pouches that are being used to stop students using smartphones while in class. Now... <laughs> The kids shouldn't be using their smartphones in class at all. I mean, of course they should be locked up. Don't teachers... I'm sure teachers tell the kids, no phones, put them away, lock them away in your bag, etc. But, of course, you know, while a teacher is teaching and focusing on teaching, you know, they can't be watching everybody in the classroom to see whether someone's sneaky in a, a sneaky text or, a, you know, checking their Facebook status or uploading a picture on Instagram. Anyway, each morning when students arrive at school, they're locking their phones into their own pouch, which can't be unlocked until the end of the day when they tap on an unlocking magnet station located throughout the school. I think it's a wonderful idea. And to be perfectly honest, these things should probably be introduced and mandated across schools everywhere in New South Wales. Uh, But the kids are unhappy about it. Is there any wonder? Look, one of the main concerns some of them are saying is, uh, well, a couple of them are saying is that basically when they go at the end of the day to unlock their pouch, they're being held up, which is probably no good if you're rushing to get, you know, one of the buses home. But the Secondary Principals Council and their president, Craig Peterson, says the pouches will help prevent distractions and had been highly effective when trialled at regional schools 
back in 2019. Yeah, we're chasing Craig Peterson, so hopefully we'll get Craig on the program to tell us a little bit about this. Some PNC organi- well, PNCs, including that on the Central Coast, the Central Coast Council of PNCs, their president, Sharon Brownlee, has warned the pouches would encourage students to quote-unquote be sneaky. Well, hang on, Sharon. <laughs> They're already being sneaky, aren't they? Of course they are. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2SM.com.au. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number if you would like to give us a call. A teenager has been fined two and a half grand and has also lost basically half of their licence after allegedly being caught speeding in the Royal National Park. Uh, apparently a black Ford Focus driven by this teenager, an 18-year-old P1. So look, when I say a teenager, this person is still an adult at 18. Anyway, the uh, the person was driving their black Ford Focus along Sir Bertram Stevens Drive in the Royal National Park at 138 kilometres an hour in an 80 zone. Police officers stopped the vehicle. They spoke with the driver. He was issued with a six-month mandatory driver's licence suspension and uh, obviously (laughs) is in a bit of trouble. Did they take the car away? Not quite sure. Probably. Anyway, hopefully this young fellow will learn a lesson. Chief Inspector Bill Darnell from Traffic Response says New South Wales police will continue to target bad driver and rider behaviour within the Royal National Park. Look, I think this young bloke, whoever it is, this 18-year-old who's been picked up here and lost, effectively, his licence and is facing a $2,520 fine, should probably thank the officers who pulled him over. He probably has had his life saved. Give us a call. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Also making use this morning, a man has died while kayaking in the New South Wales northern Tablelands. His kayak overturned and he became trapped between rocks. This was in the waterway on the Nimboida River north of Dorigo at one o'clock yesterday afternoon. It's yet another drowning. You know, in New South Wales, we've almost had one drowning a day so far this year. It's incredible. The stats are really worrying. A family member notified authorities and this man's body was found a short time later. And a recovery operation will continue today. So yet another drowning in New South Wales has been far too many so far this year. And we're only into what? uh, Early February. Okay, it's now news time, right on 6.30. Marcus Paul in the morning. USM Sydney weather. Mostly sunny today with the slight chance of some showers and a thunderstorm this afternoon and northeasterly winds. We're heading for top temperatures of 29 degrees in the city and 32 in the west. Looking further ahead, showers and possible storms on Saturday. Mostly sunny on Sunday and showers Monday. At the moment in the city, it's 21, Bankstown 21 and Richmond 19. That's the latest 2SM news. I'm Michaela Savage. Now back to Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, welcome back to the program on this Friday, 25 minutes away from 7. Labor's spokesman for Western Sydney, Greg Warren, joining us in just a couple of moments. Meantime, a COVID-19 breakout has led to a five-day lockdown in Perth, but New South Wales will remain open to Western Australians. Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory have announced travel restrictions for people who have been in Perth metro area, the Peel and the southwest regions. These areas will remain in lockdown until Friday after a security guard working in a quarantine hotel tested positive. The WA Premier Mark McGowan said the guard, a man aged in his 20s, had worked on the same floor as a person who tested positive for the UK variant of COVID-19 and he reported in sick on January the 28th. All right, federal politicians believed to include Attorney General Christian Porter and Defence Minister Lindy Reynolds, who flew into Canberra from Perth yesterday, have been told to stay away from Parliament now until further notice. There we go. Probably just as well, too. Look, the outbreak comes as Prime Minister Scott Morrison will say in a speech to the National Press Club that there will be no, there will not be another large stimulus to replace the JobKeeper wage subsidy when it stops at the end of March. Here we go. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have you say. Look, the story today, green and mean. Oh, they have it as an exclusive, but we've been talking about it for days now. Um... This is the issue that's going on out in Western Sydney, where we have landowners effectively having the government rezone parts of their property in order to, I don't know, not pay what what their acres or hectares are worth. I mean, the green dream has become a nightmare. And the report today by Lachlan Leeming, Lachlan, It's not an exclusive, mate, Okay, no matter how hard you try and push it. We've been talking about it for days. Anyway, hundreds of Western Sydney residents are discovering their homes are not their castles, with the New South Wales government threatening to use environmental legislation to deem their land green space, rendering it, it worthless. See, the problem is, if that's the case, these landowners out there in Western Sydney will no longer be able to resettle in the area because they won't get what their properties are worth. There's a, a few of them here that have been uh, spoken to in the paper. Rob Heffernan on his Luddenham farm, basically, saying that, well, with a stroke of a pen, they've made our land worthless. Look, we've been chasing Tanya Davies, the member from Olgoa, on this. I know she's been elsewhere talking about it in the last couple of days, but I suspect now she's been told to hush by the Premier because she's not returning our calls or emails and she's not speaking to us. The only thing I can imagine is that the Premier's told told her, look, Tanya, shh, all right, just pipe down. Maybe she's had a gag order placed on her by the Premier of New South Wales. Tell me it's not true, Gladys, please. So what do we do? We go elsewhere and that's fine by us. Labor's spokesman for Western Sydney is Greg Warren. G'day, Greg. G'day, Marcus. How are you? It's the vibe, and I'm not happy about it. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of very unhappy, understandable landowners around Western Sydney Airport that have been affected by this government's inequitable approach to land acquisitions and the use of land. 
I think if it's good enough for this government to look after large, wealthy landowners, and it's just as good for this government to treat the smaller landowners mm. uh, with the same degree of respect and consultation. Well, they didn't treat the Leppington Pastoral Association like this. I know that was a federal decision, you know, the overpayment for uh, for hectares of land out there in the Eritropolis. Uh, you know, it seems you're right. There's one rule for big business and one rule for, you know, for the small farming communities in this instance out there at uh, what is a proposed metro site for a terminal at Orchard Hills. I know the area well. I grew up around that neck of the woods, around Penrith. I don't understand. Why do they need so much land at Orchard Hills? I think they want to acquire hundreds of hectares of people's property, but similar um, areas that are also going to feature one of these um, uh, terminals for this new metro project, uh, they don't require anywhere near as much land. Could it have something to do with the fact it's close to Penrith? Well, look, it's another contributing factor to this debacle. I mean, the government really has not been consistent nor clear on land acquisitions around the airport, particularly with this issue around on the the metro issue at Orchard Hills. I mean, they've said one thing, they've done another. Uh, Many landowners out there, local residents, who, let's not forget, um, they're not businesses. This is their home. Um, so this isn't just a piece of land or, or a house they live in. This is this is their home. Many of them who are either first home buyers or it's been in their family. So this is yeah. having a serious effect on their livelihoods and well-beings more than what it would perhaps for a business, um, for example. But it's just more of the inconsistency from government, which is providing uncertainty for families and is causing a very serious. Uh, very serious issues within their livelihood. Well, what's the uh, the planning minister, Rob Stokes, had to say about this? Well, I've only seen uh, what I've read publicly from, mm. from Minister Stokes. Um, but again, it's been um, more inconsistency, which has provided uncertainty for these landowners. I mean, it's not only having a financial effect on them, it's having an effect on their livelihoods, because this is ultimately their homes. I um. We need the, the the premier to to take some take some charge on this and provide some leadership because clearly no one seems to be um, steering this steering this truck through this place yeah. uh, when it comes to Western Sydney Airport because we've got the federal government and we've got the state government neither of them seem to be talking to each other um, and now we have the state government doing what they do best. Uh, treating Western Sydney with contempt, ignoring local residents, doing what they want without any regard how it's going to affect their livelihoods. Well, it's let me simply have, appalling. Yeah, let me have a look here. Planning Minister Rob Stokes's vision, quote-unquote, for the new Western Sydney Aerotropolis to be a parkland city has set up a David and Goliath battle akin to the cult movie classic The Castle. <laughs> residents living north of the incoming airport were horrified by a state government proposal to designate large chunks of their properties, green space such as bushland and parks, a move that will drive down their value by millions as developers zone in on land prime to build on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, what's what they're trying to do here is by... Moving the goalposts, this is a better way of putting it, if you move the goalposts from here to here, it means that we'll not have to pay these people uh, what their land is actually worth. The problem is, these people like Rob Heffernan, who's been quoted in the paper today, and others, Michael Schwears, 
I mean, they will not be able to resettle in these areas because they simply won't be able to afford it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is very much a a financial motivation and I think cost-saving by the government without consideration for the financial effect it'll have on these landowners. Um, Their ability to, to go and resettle in the area will be significantly reduced, if at all possible, Mm. because these landowners will be out of pocket uh, hundreds and thousands, if not millions of dollars. Well, they say with a stroke of a pen, they've made our land worthless. It's a raw deal. Yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly right. And that is the the degree of frustration that those local residents in and around the affected areas are are going through at the moment. And it, it is really having a a serious detrimental effect on their livelihoods and their well-being. Yeah. Um, I think what needs to happen is the government needs to get out of Macquarie Street, get out to Western Sydney, not for a photo opportunity, <laughs> but get out and talk to these local residents yeah. and hear their concerns and address them. All right. Well, I mean, uh, some of these landowners out there, it's not as if they haven't paid their way. I mean, Mr Heffernan, uh, who's been quoted in the paper today, is paying $3,200 a quarter in rates. So he's paying effectively over twelve grand a year to live out in that area. <laughs> so in other words, he's paying money for land that is worthless now, according to the state government, and they're moving at the goalposts. I mean, it just it doesn't add up, no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, no, it certainly is a debacle. It's a mess, and the government need to um, get out of Sydney and get out to Western Sydney and get this matter sorted out sooner rather than later and then have a plan in place that doesn't keep on changing the goalposts and provides yeah. local residents with, with some clarity and yep. some certainty so that they can plan for their livelihoods going forward. Tanya Davies, who's the member for Mulgoa out there, Tanya's a Liberal. She has been up until, what, yesterday in the press talking about this, but now she's not taking reporters' calls, certainly not uh, responding to our requests for a chat or an interview. Is it likely the Premier's hushed her on this? Well, it wouldn't be the first time that Tanya's been told to be quiet on, on issues. So, look, I, I'm I'm not sure if that is the case. But, look, to be honest, Marcus, it wouldn't surprise me. All right. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. No worries. See you, mate. Talk soon. There he Bye. is, Labor's spokesman for Western Sydney, Greg Warren. What do you make of it? Give me a call. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, 11 to 7. Mick, you're back, mate. We lost you. Mate, I'm always back. Yeah, I'm like a bad penny. Oh, that's all right, mate. mate. It's pretty clear how we can get Gladys out to talk to these people in the western suburbs out there about these land deals. Tell me. Someone from out there is going to have to take one for the team and start having an affair with the Premier. They've got to the Wagga very often to talk to people. She always had meetings in Wagga. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely 100% right. And what about this... Uh, share of $177 million, the latest round of pork barrelling uh, that's seen the area of Wagga Wagga receive a significant amount of taxpayer dollars, money that was meant to go to bushfire-affected areas. Look, if I, I'm going through all of my notes from when we covered the bushfires, I don't see any of the fires impacting the Wagga region. Why the uh, hell... Mark, let me tell you something, mate. Why the hell Gladys, did they get the money? Gladys, 
in my eyes, after all of this, is the most corrupt Premier we have had since Sir Robert Askin. And that's really saying something, because we've had a few dodgies along the way. And she just... It's like, no, sorry, I'm just not facing up to any of this. And with these compulsory acquisitions, there's a long history of this going on. Um, Parramatta, the centre of Parramatta, they compulsory acquired land from shop owners because they wanted to sell it to Westfield because Parramatta needs a bigger Westfield. King George's Road, Hurstville, they compulsory acquired the whole eastern side of it and then sold it off years later for millions of dollars of profit. They didn't need to widen the road. You know, if, if I happen to own some land that falls into a really profitable area suddenly, I should benefit from that. Why shouldn't I? Absolutely. The You're the one who's... My land goes up. Yes, and you're the one that's paying as the price of the land goes up. You're the one who's paying an increase in rates. No doubt you paid a fortune in stamp duty when you bought it in the first place. Absolutely. That's exactly it. But the government, it is compulsory acquisition. Okay, if you need land for a school or something, pay people a fair price. But if you need land for for a, a market problem, like, oh, we want to put some shops or some factories or whatever there, Tell me and let, let me negotiate with someone who wants to buy my land. Yeah, yep. Do you remember, Marcus, the fire at uh, Miranda that wouldn't sell out to Westfield and they had to build part of the... It, it's gone now. Yeah. They had to build part of Westfield around his house because mm. he just wanted to go to the club across the road every day. <laughs> oh, I don't know, mate. Yeah, look. It was a classic. Yeah. He it's... wouldn't sell to them and he didn't have to. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not, not for private but anyway, enterprise. Not someone from out there needs to take one for the team and start sleeping with Corporal Klinger, and I'll get lots of visits, I'm telling you. Ouch. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. All right, there's Mick. 131269, the telephone number. I tell you what, who needs to give it up, and that's this pain harsh bloke. Apparently, he told police, you've got a badge and you think you're a real tough effing C... Let's get the F out of here. Just taser me, you dumb C. Don't come near me, bro. I'll effing jab you on my mother's life. I will get the F out of my face. I'll take you all on myself, you F wits. And he goes on and on and on. I can't believe uh, that the NRL's integrity uh, officer is blaming all of this behaviour on a distrust by Payne Haas of the police. (laughs) And apparently... Cultural differences have led to all of these outbursts. What a lot of crap. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The Labour faithful out there want to hear policy from you. What are your alternatives to what ScoMo and his mob are doing right now? We will continue to roll out policies between now and the next election so that everyone will see clearly what the suite of alternative policies that a Labor government would implement to make the recovery even stronger. We're bringing you all the news and the views. There will be discussions about what the job seeker payment per day should be. Marcus, as much as I enjoy speaking on your program, today is not the day for the announcement. They can't afford to drop it down either at the end of March to $40 a day. That will produce real hardship. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, well, yes, that was Albo on the program yesterday at six and a half minutes after seven. I see that many are now getting behind the federal Labor leader. And that includes Labor alumni such as John Della Bosca. 
And a really good piece by John in The Guardian caught my attention yesterday. For those attacking the ALP leadership, this is for you. Albo can beat ScoMo. And if you're unsure, look at the two leaders. Albo talks about what you need daily. Scott is talking about cutting things from you. Job seeker, job keeper, penalty rates, super. The panic over the Labor leadership is absurd. Of course Albanese can beat Morrison, writes John Della Bosca. Some in the party have learned only to emulate the mistakes of previous generations, believing it will deliver a different result. Well, no. And John Della Bosca rightly points out here that John Howard was never preferred Prime Minister over Paul Keating prior to the 1996 election. Pointing to the preferred Prime Minister's score as a predictor of electoral success or failure and a measure of Albanese's worth as a leader is about as useful as reading tea leaves, or in my words, about as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike. Yeah, some really good words from John Della Bosca. It's a really good article in The Guardian, if you care to have a look at it. And look, he's right. The more you think about it, what have we got? Labor, uh, you know, two-party preferred. Labor and the Libs, or the LNP, are neck and neck, 50-50. And that's during a pandemic. So something must be going right for federal Labor and Anthony Albanese. 13 12 69, the telephone number. I'd still like to hear more policy, though, Albo. Boy, oh boy. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop Payne Haas who has showed apparently genuine remorse after an expletive-riddled showdown with police in January. Documents from court revealed the Broncos star, who earns, by the way, a half a million dollars a season, told a female officer, "'Cause you're a woman, you think I won't touch you." Haas has also told police that he would take yous all on myself and dared them to taser him. The bloke's a grub. The bloke is a grub. I don't care where he's from, whether he's an islander or from Timbuk bloody too. He is a grub and he needs to be rubbed out of the National Rugby League. He's pleaded guilty in Tweedhead's local court yesterday on two counts of intimidating police during a confrontation at Jack Evans Boat Harbour on January the 16th while he was with his pregnant partner Leilani, whatever her name is. Leilani, what are you doing? Come on. The 21-year-old was given a two-year good behaviour order, but no conviction was recorded. Lawyer Dave Garrett said Haas was, quote-unquote, completely shattered, extremely embarrassed and extremely remorseful, and appealed to the magistrate not to impose a conviction. Mr Garrett also revealed Haas had a quite traumatic upbringing, having been exposed to domestic violence and drug and alcohol abuse, and both his parents had spent time in jail. Rugby league has been his saviour, Mr Garrett told the court. Well, that may well be true, and I feel very sorry for the young man if if life was difficult while he was growing up. But life's been difficult for a lot of people growing up. And a lot of these people are spending time in jail and not earning a half a million dollars to bloody throw a football around every year. 
Mr Garrett said COVID-19 meant Haas and his family had not been able to properly grieve the loss of his brother, Chase, who died last year. Still no excuse, Mr Garrett. Still no excuse at all for the disgusting behaviour of this half a million dollar football, half a million dollar a year football player toward police. Mr Garrett also said Haas was facing significant sanctions and would be given a higher penalty by the Broncos and NRL Integrity Unit if convicted. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Apparently Haas hardly drinks at all but had a couple of drinks on the night and reacted with poor behaviour toward police. But it's not the first time. I read out earlier, and I'll go through it again, some of the comments that this grub has made to police over the years. You got a badge on and you think you're a real tough effing C. Let's get the F out of here. Just taser me, you dumb Cs. Don't come near me, bro. I'll effing jab you. On my mother's life, I will. This is a bloke that's played for New South Wales. Get the F out of my face or I'll take yous on all myself, you F-wits. Oh, F off. Suck my D. I'll effing take yous all out, your F-wits. Why are you looking at me like that because you're a woman you think I won't touch you to a female police officer the bloke is a grub and I'm sorry Catherine Lumby Catherine Lumby is this I don't know appointed gender advisor to the NRL Catherine I'm sorry what if it was you that all of these uh, these awful comments were directed at you probably wouldn't be saying the same thing people from some cultural backgrounds have sometimes had a history of distrust of the police and it can influence the way that they respond to police authority there is a history in some communities of having multiple adverse encounters with police and they may respond different to police authority than someone from an anglo background what a load of tripe stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game Alrighty, 12 minutes after 7. Look, another story this morning that we've been following is the fact that, look, mobile phones, I mentioned yesterday that I was on public transport and I noticed a whole bunch of people in a carriage, every single one of them with a mobile phone up to their face. Most of them were school kids. Kids cannot do without their phones, but phones do not belong in the classroom. And what's been going on is a number of classrooms, number of schools, in fact, throughout the education system have been locking kids' phones away during school time in these special pouches that can't be reopened until the end of school. I think it's a great move. I feel sorry. It's difficult enough for teachers out there to try and get kids' attention without having all these extra distractions in place, like mobile phones in classrooms. Mobile phones should not be in classrooms. Craig Peterson is president of the Secondary Principals Council and he joins us on the program. Good morning to you, Craig. Good morning, Marcus. Great to be with you. Thank you, mate. Uh, Look, I know that some of the students are upset by this, but you're in favour of locking away mobile phones, aren't you? Well, the Secondary Principals Council is in favour of giving principals and school communities the right to decide how they're going to manage mobile technologies in their school. We don't want a one-size-fits-all solution right across the state, across every school, but we do want schools to have the authority to do what they need to do in their context to make sure that technology, mobile devices, including obviously phones, are being used appropriately at school. 
but mate, we can't use a mobile phone while we're driving. It's illegal. Uh, and, and that's something that the state government has implemented. Why can't the state government, for instance, implement making mobile phones illegal during school time? Look, it's certainly something that has been advocated and passed by uh, various groups and organisations, and, and many schools at, at a point in time did have mobile phone bans, but what we've got to remember is, is a really complex space. So what COVID showed us, for example, is that 25% of our families in public schools don't have access to technology at home. So for some of our students, their only technology is their mobile phone. So there are times when it's quite a valid educational tool, but it's got to be monitored and used appropriately. And of course, the problem that teachers and, and schools and, and many parents have for that matter is that kids do get addicted to their mobile phones, just as you described in the intro. And it's an incredible distraction in class. And of course, as we know, it's not just students playing games or, or Googling material. Mm. It's also sometimes used for cyberbullying and, and quite inappropriate uh, purposes. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, uh, social media... Uh, updating statuses on, you know, Instagram and all the rest of it. Look, I'm not against mobile phone usage by kids. Of course not. Um, And you're right, they can be an important tool in a number of areas. But I just feel for the teachers, you know, if you're a teacher in a secondary school, every couple of minutes you don't want to be yelling out to someone at the back of the classroom, Mary, I've told you before about that mobile phone. Can you put it away, please, or I'll confiscate it. You too, John. You too, Jack. Uh, you, don't, you know what I mean? It's already difficult enough for, for teachers dealing uh, with students these days, uh, trying to get their attention. Mobile phones should not be in classrooms. Well, they certainly shouldn't be in classrooms being used without the teacher's permission. That's the point that we make, is that some schools do have a you know, out-of-sight, um, on-silent, don't-want-to-see-it-in-class uh, policy, which works well for them. Others have a handed-in at the front office uh, when you arrive at school and yeah. text at the end of the day. Some just say, don't bring it to school at all. Um, there can be valid reasons for children to have mobile phones on the way to and from school and, and very occasionally during their breaks, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the use of these pouches, which has actually been, uh, I'm aware of some schools have been uh, started implementing these as far back as 2019. Mm. And some of the reports we're getting back from the uh, staff, from the parents and from many of the students is that they're great because it allows the child to retain possession of their phone. Yeah. As you say, it's locked away in the, in the pouch so that it can't be used. But each teacher does have a key so that if they do need to use it in their science lesson to you know, do a calculation, whatever it might be, the child can request access to their phone for that period of time. The teacher unlocks it, gives it to the child where they're doing the, the educational activity. Okay, yep. finished, back in the pouch, locked up, ready Bingo. for your next lesson. Yeah, well, look, that sounds like a pretty sound and common sense solution. Look, the reason I think it's so important that we, we try and nut out a solution to this, as you very well know, Craig, uh, education standards in Australia have slipped, in New South Wales in particular, where we're getting more and more behind our Southeast Asian neighbours when it comes to literacy, numeracy. Uh, I mean, some of the scores in you know early education and the indexes have shown quite clearly that we need to ensure that our kids are paying attention so that we can improve overall education rates. Mobile phones are just another distraction. I can tell you right now, I doubt very much whether in Japan or China, kids would be flicking around with their mobile phones during lesson time. Yeah, look, I I don't want to get drawn into an argument about PISA or NAPLAN and things, but certainly what I'll absolutely agree with you, Marcus, is that every teacher, every principal and every parent wants the best 
results for their children after their 12 or 13 years of school. And yeah. anything that distracts us from that is something that we've got to manage really carefully. And certainly what the Secondary Principals Council calls upon from parents, from the yeah. department, from the minister is the authority to be able to put processes and policies in place in their school which allow them to deal with this effectively. And we really rely on parents in particular for support in understanding why we might be implementing some of these policies or strategies. It's it's not for anything nefarious or because we're mean. It's because we want the absolute best for your child. Well, that's right. That's all we want. Absolutely. Craig, great to have you on the program as always. We'll chat soon. Thank you, mate. Thanks a lot, Marcus. All right, Craig Peterson, who's president of the Secondary Principals Council. Uh, look, what do you make of it? Thirteen twelve sixty nine, the telephone number. If you want to send us an email on this, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Look, of course, of course, you can't take mobile phones away from kids now. <laughs> it's never going to work. We'll have anarchy on our hands. And yes, the kids need the phones on the way to school, on the way home, maybe even during recess and lunch. But absolutely, they need to be locked away in a pouch or put somewhere out of reach during lesson times. I think the future of our kids' education depends on this. Too much of a distraction. Far too much of a distraction. 13 12 69, the number if you'd like to have your say on this. 20 minutes after 7, you're listening to Marcus Paul in the morning. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. A couple of emails. MP in the morning at 2SM supernetwork.com. Peter Rees says regarding Payne Haas. Marcus, in relation to your comments about the NRL player Payne Haas, who is now facing the NRL's integrity unit investigation, I would be surprised if he was suspended or even kicked out of the NRL. I mean, it's not as if he quoted a passage from the Bible. Ooh. Jamie Luckin. L U K I N. You are an idiot. Here's Jamie's contribution to the program this morning. I, and he's written it all in capitals. No need to shout at me, Jamie. I see they have Tim Bailey on Ben's show doing the weather, which was a pleasant change. So was the positivity in Fordham's show. See you later, F-wits. All right, Jamie. Jamie Luckin. Uh, J-L-W Manley. Really? Is that your... Uh, it's your email address. I won't give the whole thing out, lest you be trolled. But, Jamie, you're a Manly fan. Look, I'm not so scruff, but you're letting the side down as a Manly fan because you're directing this comment, obviously, at Justin as well. But just a reminder, buddy, it's not an airport. Again, no need to announce your departure. Just go. But we do appreciate that you've taken, I don't know, looking at the sentence, probably 10 minutes to construct it yourself. Ben show with, I don't know, Timmy drips and drops on rooftops and crops is probably more to your educational level anyway. Cheers. So don't uh, bother with another text back. Appreciate it. Bye. And I can dream about you. Marcus Paul in the morning at 28 and a half minutes after 7. 13, 12, 69. Here's the telephone number. Look, this large-scale search operation has resumed this morning for a missing spear fisherman. On the mid-north coast at Lagers Point near Trial Bay Jail at Southwest Rocks. Uh, it's awful. It really is awful. Just after one o'clock yesterday, this 53-year-old spear fisherman and his son 
were fishing in nearby water when a large wave pushed them onto rocks. The older man then being swept up in the wash and out to sea. He hasn't been seen or heard from since. So we've got the Westpac Rescue Helicopter, police from the mid-north coast, marine rescue, ambos, surf lifesavers and local lifeguards all searching for the man this morning. He was last seen wearing a blue and green full-length wetsuit and a yellow-tipped snorkel and one black feather. Feather? Flipper! You flipper, Marcus. Anyway, let's hope we have a positive outcome to this. I really, really hope so. Okay, we're off to the news now. It's right on 7.30. If you want to give us a call, 13 12 69. Mark Latham on the program very soon. And after him, Richard Miles. And don't forget, after 8 o'clock, happy hour. And Van Nguyen, classical pianist, will be on the program then. 2SM has Sydney talking. Oh my goodness, John Laws, we're the survivors. 2SM has Sydney talking. All right, One Nation's leader in New South Wales, Mark Latham, on the program in just a couple of moments. Barry, are you there, mate? Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Morning, Barry. <clears throat> I, cu- I couldn't let this one go by. Um, Gladdy and her group of untouchables have done it again, Marcus. This land acquisition that they're doing at the moment, it's not a necessary thing that they're doing. They're doing a Houdini, Mark. Um, They've run out of things to sell off to generate money. Now they are coming up with these smoke and mirror plans of just... Uh, acquiring people's land for minimum cost and everybody knows how much land's going up. They don't need it at this particular time but they're just going to take the land off them. What they are doing is sticking their hand into these young people and all the people involved into their superannuation, mate. You know, these these properties are going to be worth millions and millions and millions and the government's just going to sit on them as a green space. You're kidding, aren't you? Well, I told you they are moving the goalposts and making it extremely unfair for these landowners out in Western Sydney. Look, I I know we need to build the infrastructure for the airport. I get that. Uh, But why, oh, why, Andrew, uh, what's his name? who, uh, why, Gladys, I'll, I'll direct it to the Premier, why do you need to acquire so much out there at Orchard Hills? And why are you changing the rules around what can and can't be built? These people have paid a fortune in rates, some of them up to $12,000 a year. I can only imagine what their stamp duty would have been and all the rest of it. The governments and local governments have already made enough money out of these people, some of which are farmers third and fourth generation farmers out there near Penrith. They deserve a hell of a lot better from this state government. Absolutely they do. Every man's home is his castle and it looks like this may well be headed to court. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. Alrighty. Mark, good morning, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, Marcus. Good to be with you. Thank you very much. Can we talk about this issue first? Uh, this is the land acquisitions out there uh, at the Aerotropolis. Uh, now, at Orchard Hills, for some reason, the government has decided it needs hundreds of hectares of land for the airport's uh, uh, 
terminal, if you like. Um, I know we need to build these uh, railway station uh, terminals. I get that. But why do you, in one area of the Aerotropolis, only need a few hectares? And for here out near Penrith, where the land is obviously worth a, a pretty penny, why do they need hundreds and hundreds of acres? Well, it's hard to know. You wouldn't think you need hundreds of acres to build a metro rail um, station. Yeah, station. Uh, Most of these things go underground, and um, you wouldn't need that amount of space at all. But, you know, what we need to um, uh, understand in New South Wales is that unlike the uh, federal government, which under the Australian Constitution always has to pay a fair price for the acquisition of land, there is no state provision. And it's a constant struggle, Marcus, a constant struggle to defend the property rights of um, private citizens, property owners around New South Wales. And we've got to make sure that if any private land is acquired, it's uh, done so at a fair price to the property owner Mm. instead of people being ripped off. Well, if you're rezoning or effectively moving the, uh, the goalposts halfway through a game, it's hardly fair. I mean, the plan puts local property values at risk and essentially people, uh, second and third generation farmers, are highly likely not to be able to resettle in the area because they won't get what their land is worth. Well, it's completely unacceptable if government in allocating green space, you need some green space through that South Creek corridor of the so-called Aerotropolis, but it's unacceptable for government to ever contemplate just declaring a green space to convert residential and rural land into green space, render it worthless and not pay any compensation. Now, this suggestion's been around for a couple of years. Uh, I know it's on the front page of the Daily Telegraph today. Mm. But a few years ago, it was raised with me. I got an assurance from the then Planning Minister, Anthony Roberts, that any uh, land that was acquired by government would uh, happen at fair value, fair acquisition price. And more recently, Stuart Ayres, The Minister for Western Sydney has said to to me that um, any uh, green space allocations, people would get money for it, would get money at the proper uh, going commercial rate. It wouldn't just be uh, like a land grab by government. So there's two ministers who've said that, and and I hope the Planning Minister, Rob Stokes, comes out today and says that this is not a land-stealing operation, that the residents there who put up with the inconvenience of uncertainty about the future of the airport and now the construction of it, which is a huge civil engineering job, that they get some peace of mind that if they do have a green space allocation on a part of their property, uh, they get a fair price for it from yeah. government as soon as possible. Well, look, it's an issue I think that uh, could well be headed to the courts because I can't see uh, the locals from what I've been hearing out there. I mean, this is an area I grew up in, in the PN. Uh, Penrith region. Uh, of course, down in your neck of the woods, the Campbelltown MacArthur region, again, there'll be some compulsory land acquisitions around Ludnam. Uh, but it seems the people out there are getting a pretty decent or fair price for their land. So I just can't understand. I, I really don't see how the state government can, can consider shortchanging uh, residents who are paying a fortune to local governments just for the and a lot of these people as well are farmers well it's a huge issue because the land we're talking about runs effectively from Penrith down to Brinjelli and Kelvin Park so this is a huge tract of land uh, it's a big development the Aerotropolis is not just the airport site but they're planning housing estates commercial industrial estates in the vicinity 
So they've got to get this right up front. Uh, many thousands of property owners are affected by these sorts of stories in the media, and Rob Stokes has got to come out today and give people certainty, yeah. give them peace of mind, and most of all give them the fairness of saying, look, if you've been allocated green space, because you need a little bit of open space there yeah. in these uh, housing estates, the government will acquire that at a fair commercial price rather than ripping you off and leaving you stranded financially. Coal jobs. I spoke to Malcolm Roberts and Pauline Hansen uh, on the program this week. Um, a One Nation really the only uh, party who is now standing up for coal? Well, it looks that way because uh, last week the National Party put out a policy paper on manufacturing. It had some good things in it, including the construction of a new coal-fired power station in the Hunter Valley. And then this week in the Senate, Malcolm Roberts said, well, if you believe that, vote for this resolution. And the National Party either walked out of the chamber or voted against the coal-fired power station in the Hunter Valley to provide energy security and affordability. So they voted against their own policy. So you're not much use to anyone as a political party. If you've got a policy one week, you walk into Parliament the next week and you vote against that self-same policy. So the Nats aren't worth a cracker in that regard. Labor seems to have given up altogether on job protection and job creation for Australian workers. So, yeah, it does come down to one nation. All right, uh, Craig Kelly, we know the stories from this week. You wanted to make a comment on that? Well, I think it's important for people to understand that the federal government policy, and I think it's the right policy, is not to have compulsory mandatory vaccines that would be counterproductive to put a gun to people's head and say you better take this vaccine otherwise you get punished uh the policy is voluntary and sure there's been a pile on to craig kelly but i don't like the way in which uh, tanya plibersek others in the labor party are sort of giving the impression to people that this is a compulsory thing that people need to do now it's it's desirable we want the herd immunity we want to see the back of covid yet but at the end of the day, every single individual is in control of their own health arrangements. And what I would urge people to do is understand that the policy is voluntary, but listen to heads of government, listen to health ministers, listen to health experts, and most of all, go talk to your GP uh, about your prospects uh, with, with the vaccine. So I think we just need to get this back into proper perspective because uh, I'm not you know, fully across everything Craig Kelly said in this space. I don't like the idea of a pile-on denying free speech to a member of parliament but at the other extreme i don't like the plibersec type suggestion that this is a mandatory compulsory thing that everyone needs to do tomorrow all right and israel falau uh the dragons have backed away as you would know mark from offering him a contract uh, do you think that they've gone a little woke on this has somebody got to them and maybe suggested that uh, the investment's not worthwhile well, it looks like one of the sponsors has had some concerns, but it makes you wonder who runs sporting clubs these days. The people in charge, notionally, on behalf of the players and the fans, or the sponsors run them. And, and of course, you can go to Ask Rugby Australia about all that, because the whole Falau controversy started when some of the sponsors didn't like what he said about his own religious faith. And then the major sponsor, uh, a couple of years later, Qantas walked away. They put Rugby Australia through the huge uh, cost of the Falau legal battle, which they lost on unfair dismissal, and then took its own sponsorship money away and left Rugby Australia virtually bankrupted. Mm. So any sporting administrator who lets the sponsors run their code and their game is an absolute fool, because those sponsors, when it suits them, they'll walk away and, and leave you stranded financially. I think the Dragons, uh, if they didn't understand 
Yeah. There'd be a left-wing woke reaction about Falau, as there about Margaret Court, as there is about this burning bigotry against all born-again Christians these days. Well, the Dragons obviously didn't know what they were getting into. That's, that, that's pretty hopeless. But at the end of the day, Marcus, there are rugby league players who came back into the code for yep. things much, much worse than quoting from the Bible. Take, I'm sitting here in Newcastle yeah. at the moment. Take the example of Danny Wicks, mm. who was peddling drugs on the streets of Newcastle. He was playing for the Knights. He was convicted. He was jailed. And the NRL let him back in to play for Parramatta not so long ago. Yep. So convicted drug peddlers get a second chance in rugby league. And the sponsors had nothing to say about that. The woke media types had nothing to say about it. Social media had nothing to say. Apparently that's okay. Peddle as many drugs as you like to kids on the streets and you can come and play rugby league a few years later. But apparently quoting from the Bible is a hanging offence. Give me a break. What a disgusting double standard. Well, it is. And um, and I can even relate it to what's going to possibly happen with Payne Haas. Uh, I mean, again, will he uh, front up for the Broncos considering, and I've gone through the story this morning, the atrocious behaviour that he's directed mm. towards serving police officers, including women. He's got a track mm. record. This bloke gets paid a half a million dollars to throw a football around. And yet he's most likely going uh, to be fronting up playing footy again this year. He's a very young bloke. He's still got plenty of time to, I guess, to, to grow up. But, you know, if we allow Payne Haas and the other fellow you are mentioning uh, to get back into uh, rugby league, then certainly Israel Folau should be allowed to play the game. Despite, I mean, I don't agree with his comments, but that's me personally. We, we all have different opinions, and that's why we have you on the program, Mark, and I appreciate you coming on always, mate. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Marcus. Cheers. There he is, Mark Latham, uh, One Nation leader in New South Wales. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The Labor faithful out there want to hear policy from you. What are your alternatives to what ScoMo and his mob are doing right now? We will continue to roll out policies between now and the next election so that everyone will see clearly what the suite of alternative policies that a Labor government would implement to make the recovery even stronger. We're bringing you all the news and the views. There will be discussions about what the job seeker payment per day should be. Marcus, as much as I enjoy speaking on your program, today is not the day for the announcement. They can't afford to drop it down either at the end of March to $40 a day. That will produce real hardship. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Alright, let's go now to Richard Miles. Uh, of course, Richard has had a lot to say in recent times in relation to Scott Morrison. In fact, some of Richard's critiques have been scathing. Whether it's the Prime Minister playing politics on borders, whether there's been, you know, too much of a, a push toward looking after big business rather than chasing job keeper payments from big business who have, you know, made a, a pretty handy profit during the pandemic. Richard has been speaking up, the Deputy Leader of the Australian Labor Party and Federal Member for Coro, uh, and a Geelong Cats supporter as well. Gee whiz. G'day, Richard. How are you, mate? How are you, Marcus? Thank you for that introduction. Not a problem at all. Um, Anthony Albanese on the program yesterday. I speak to Joel Fitzgibbon quite regularly, and I'm, I'm very happy to be talking to you. I, of course, I need to do my job. All this 
nonsense that's going on around Labor leadership. It's all a distraction. Well, it, 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 there's a lot of uh, conversation that you see in the media, but um, we're very focused on the task at hand, and that is making sure that we're presenting Australians with an alternative view, uh, making sure that we get ready to give Australians the choice of an alternative government, and we are 100% focused on making Anthony Albanese the next Prime Minister of the country. I mean, the, the, we've got a, a government right now um, which is at a, a critical moment in our country's history, which is very focused on itself, um, which has got pretty stale after eight years in office, and which doesn't really have a plan for... Uh, jobs in this country right now and and uh, jobs in the country in the future, particularly when you think about manufacturing, making oh, yeah. things in Australia. Um, and, and it's critically important that we are focused on all of that, which we are, and we're giving Australians the choice that they desperately want in the next election, which we will. Well, I mean, that's what it's all about. You say Australia needs to be a nation that makes things. We all deserve a future made right here at home, Australian made. Uh, why aren't we doing it? Well, it's a, it's, it's a really good question. I, th- I think the answer is that we've got a government that um, is asleep at the wheel, really, in relation to this. We've seen the most significant deindustrialisation of Australia since 2013 in our country's history. You know, we've lost the car industry, and we, we lost it because this was a government which dared the car industry to leave, and guess what? They did. Um, and, and when that happened, obviously, a whole lot of people lost really... Uh, secure, well-paid jobs, but yeah. the country lost industrial capability. You know, the, the, this was the most complex, high-tech manufacturing that we were doing in Australia at that time. Um, we, we need to be climbing the technological ladder. The day we lost the car industry, we actually fell down the technological ladder, and, and that is the issue here. That you know, there's no thought on the part of the government uh, about how you connect. Uh, science, um, making it front and centre in the way in which we see the country and the way in which we talk about the country um, and, and generating the kind of jobs that we need so that yeah. we we make things in this country. And and the point really here is this. If, if, if you let go of manufacturing uh, and you let go of that kind of industry, which is what we've seen over the last few years, um, then we don't end up being the kind of modern, diverse economy that we need to be, which generates the kind of well-paid, secure jobs that people want. And, and that's what's, that, that's the failure of this government over the last eight years. Well, Craig Kelly, Barnaby Joyce, I mean, for goodness sake, these two men are uh, apparently, um, you know, at the forefront of government's response to science and fact and hard work. <laughs> I mean, well, what it, chance have we got with these two blokes... Well, on the well, science exactly. committee. God's well, and, and, and you know, I, I think there's a real issue uh, about the way we as a nation relate to science. You know, we don't, we don't give it the importance. We don't talk about it enough. We don't celebrate the big science. I mean, the, one of the things I talk about a lot is that the, the biggest scientific project in the world today, uh, the Square Kilometre Array Telescope, which will illuminate the sky in a way we've never seen, um, is happening right here in Australia. But no one knows that. Um, it, it will mean the biggest computer in the world is going to be in Western Australia. But, you know, we never talk about it. And instead, what you've got on on the government side, as you say, is you know Craig Kelly peddling conspiracy theories, you know, uh, the, talking about the, the, the anti-vax agenda at, at this moment, which is just so dangerous to the Australian people. Um, all the while, you know, with the government cutting jobs, science jobs from CSIRO. I mean, that's their science policy. Um, you know, we've got no hope 
of climbing the technological ladder, of, of making things in this country again in the way that places like Korea or Germany do, as yeah. long as you've got a government, which is uh, see science in this way. So I want to play a little bit of audio and get your thoughts on it. I mean, that's a matter for the Premier. That's a matter for the Queensland government. And that's a matter for the Premier to deal with. That's a matter that I'll, I'll raise with other Premiers and Chief Ministers. Well, that's really a question to the Premier. That's a matter I'm, I'm happy to take up with the other Premiers and Chief Ministers. That's entirely a matter for the states. When there is a public health pandemic, then they are things that marriage from Victoria. Uh, you know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate. Mm. Tardily leadership, is it, Richard? Says it all. I mean, that's, that is a, a clip which sums up uh, Scott Morrison and his attitude to government. I mean, he, the National Cabinet was heralded as this big step forward in our federation, great cooperation, and when all the premiers agree on an issue, uh, Scott Morrison will be the first out the door to announce it as, as his achievement. But when there is any disagreement, when things get tough, when we're talking about really concerning issues, uh, this guy goes to ground. And, and, and that's been his form all along, and that's what that clip demonstrates. So you, you look at the question of quarantine right now. You can go to the Constitution. Quarantine is a federal government responsibility. Yes. Um, and yet the way it's being treated now, um, you know, it, it, anyone could be forgiven for thinking that this is the responsibility of the states. Um, the, the, the federal government has completely abrogated its responsibility in relation to quarantine. Uh, and, and for the life of me, I don't understand how the internal borders of our nation hasn't got something to do with the national government. Um, and yet, you know, we've got a, a prime minister who just has gone totally missing, put himself to the sidelines and essentially has acted as a commentator bagging the state. Right. No way John Howard would have done that. No, no way Bob Hawke would have done that. No, they probably would have done things about the mess in aged care, mental health, robo-debt, which again has just been swept under the carpet. Uh, I mean, we still have uh, taxpayer dollars, whether it's in New South Wales or at a federal level, that's still level that's not reaching uh, bushfire-affected communities. We've got stranded Australians overseas. And what about that complete and utter waste of money the COVID safe app? But there's nothing, nothing that's... As your uh, leader, Anthony Albanese, calls him promo, wants to take responsibility for. That's totally right. And, and um, I mean, you mentioned the, the app. I mean, the, that's the one thing you'll never hear the Prime Minister talk about now. That's tens no. of millions of dollars down the train, which, is, which has done absolutely nothing. When the going gets tough, he goes missing. That's the bottom line. All right, Richard, I enjoyed our chat. Let's do it again very soon. Look forward to it, Marcus. All right, there is Richard Miles, MP, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, we're going to get off politics very soon after the news. Happy hour. Something very special on the way. Stick with The Views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5 a.m. on 2SN. Twenty-one. Marcus Paul in the morning. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine is our telephone number. Emails MP in the morning at two SM Supernetwork.com. 
Now, as you know, each Friday, and we've just started it off for the first time this year, each Friday we just like to peel away from some of the harder issues, our political interviews, etc., to just enjoy uh, the wonderful uh, artists and uh, and and certainly we got plenty of those here in Australia as you know last year on the program we caught up with Guy Sebastian for instance Kate Sobrano uh, the guys from Pseudo Echo Brian Canham dropped by it was a whole range of people we chatted to and it was a wonderful time just to just to relax a little bit as we get into Friday now something very special for you to kick off 2021 last week uh, my lovely lady Ash she surprised me with a, an afternoon out. She said, we're going to the picture theatre. I thought, okay, we're going to see a movie. And little did I know it wasn't a movie. What it was was a brilliantly gifted uh, couple of musicians who were performing at the Hayden Orpheum at Cremorne. And what they were doing on piano and also cello uh, to the sounds of movie soundtracks, it was amazing. So I thought, I'm going to talk to this uh, artist, she's brilliant. Her name is Van Arn Nguyen, and she's with us on the program now. Good morning to you, Van Arn. Hi, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Let me start by saying I am so glad that I came across you. You are a brilliant talent. Thank you so much. I went to the show, as I said, uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, I love music, I love classical music, I love all genres of music, but to be there at the uh, uh, the Orpheum last week and to see you strutting your stuff, you look beautiful by the way, that was just a gorgeous dress on the stage, uh, just behind that baby grand white piano, uh, and the, uh, the cellist that you were playing alongside, uh, amazing as well, I mean what, what inspired you to do this kind of work? Um, well, the concert falls under the Candlelight series, which is a concert series that has rolled out a- around the world in so many different cities. Um, it, it started off in, um, I, I believe, in Spain and then just picked up and was featured in New York and Los Angeles and then eventually it, it came to Australia. So, um for I think with the concert that you saw over the weekend, yeah. it was just so perfect because we were in a theatre and we were doing soundtracks by Candlelight. So it was really befitting um, to be able to celebrate the music of Hans Zimmer and John Williams and Neil Morricone and then all those other great film composers. Oh, and it was amazing. Now, the young lady who was performing with you, what's her name? Um, Esme Pepper. She's the cellist. She was amazing as well. Yeah, she's phenomenal. We actually went to the Sydney Conservatorium together many moons ago. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, and so it's just been a, a really nice opportunity. It's funny, this whole COVID thing, um, I, I usually live abroad. I live in Los Angeles for usually half of the year. And so um, I kind of lost touch with a lot of the Australian musicians. And because of COVID, and luckily I was locked down here and not over there, Yeah, I ended up reach, being able to reach out to a lot of the musicians, reconnect with them, and then be able to, to do these concerts again, which is, you know, we're, we feel super lucky that we can even do live concerts at this point. Well, it's a really good compromise, obviously, with uh, social distancing and, and changes in place. It's been very difficult for live performers like yourself to actually get out and perform. Yeah, it really has been. And I mean, nothing can 
nothing can substitute a live performance with with real people and real applause. I I mean during during lockdowns I did virtual concerts and it was a way of being able to you know get your craft out there and still try to be connected. But you know you're you finish a piece and you imagine the applause. Yes. Yeah, no, it was amazing. So this concert by Candlelight, um, how many of those have you performed? Um, well, I've done I've done the soundtracks one, um, and then also I did a Chopin and Tchaikovsky one. Wow! A, a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. And then as of tomorrow, I'm starting off a week of just Chopin solo by Candlelight, which will be at St. Stephen's um, on Macquarie Street in the city. Okay. It'll be really beautiful in a church setting. Um, oh. So that will be just solo Chopin. Yes. Um, and then the following week, we'll be back at Hayden Orpheum with an entire Beethoven program. So... Half of that will be me playing solo and the yep. other half, um, I'll have Esme back. Oh, wonderful. And then also a violinist, um, Hannah King, yeah. who will play some a Beethoven trio with me. Amazing. It, it, I, look, it's. I would uh, commend anybody who's listening to us in Sydney, even if you're up in the Hunter, maybe out in the central west of New South Wales, make a day trip of this and go and see these gigs. I put a link up uh, to Van Arn Official, uh, your website, on our social media, hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning, so uh, people can go there and, and check out uh, the schedule of your upcoming performances. Now, you mentioned just before, I mean, you're a pianist, a composer, and a producer. You spend, what is it, roughly half, this is before COVID, of course, half of your time living abroad and the rest of the time here in Australia? Yeah, so I I usually um, yeah spend between April to October over in Los Angeles. Yep, and then the other half, kind of based in Australia, but mm-hmm. still kind of bouncing between Australia and Asia. Yeah, um, to perform and to write music and yeah. All that fun stuff. Well, you hit the number one spot on the Australian iTunes classical charts over a number of years, back to 2016, also 2017 and 2018. You became the first Australian Vietnamese to ever in history enter the US iTunes classical charts back in 2017. It's been one heck of a ride. When did you start learning classical piano? I started before I could walk and talk. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I sure. was um, props on the piano at about 13 months old. Really? By my parents. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, both my parents are musicians. Mum's an opera singer and dad's a classical guitarist. So um, that's all they knew. I was their first child. And so they wanted to introduce me to the world, wonderful world of music. Yeah. And that was that was it. Uh, never looked back. No, and of course uh, you went to the Sydney Conservatorium of Music. By the age of nine, you'd obtained your Associate Diploma in Music, and at age 12 you received your, uh, what, Diploma in Music as well. Uh, Tell me, uh, you were certainly one of the youngest in your generation to achieve these levels. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's funny to look back on them. I think grades are grades are wonderful too for kids to to you know have a goal and progress. But um, once that's done, I think I just got the grades done, and then it became really about 
you know, focusing on how to perform and how to be a performer and then, you know, starting overseas travel and competitions overseas, which, yeah. which really was the draw for me, like being able to experience different cultures and meet other people who are like-minded, but, you know, com- from completely different backgrounds as well. It was so much fun um, to be able to do that with the piano. Wonderful. Uh, look, you've uh, you've released seven albums on all major digital music outlets, so people can certainly go through your catalogue and enjoy your talent. I don't know a lot about piano, apart from the fact that, you know, I like people like Billy Joel and Elton John, uh, but I, when I saw you perform, you're what they call a uh, an emotive player. So when you were hitting the lower notes, I would notice a, a change in your emotions on the stage. And when you hit the higher notes... Uh, in some of the the classical uh, renditions of of the movie soundtracks you were playing last week, you know, again your expression changed. It, it's it is a performance, not only obviously um, playing all the right chords and uh, etc., which is just amazing anyway. But you know, the emotion that you go through during the performance—that's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think part of the joy and the I mean, it's, it's. I feel like it's almost my responsibility to be able to convey and make people who come feel because it, I'm not singing, right? I'm I'm playing an instrument with no lyrics, and to be able to make people feel through a series and a sequence of sounds is 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 what I want to be able to do and tell a story through that sound. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 131269. Yeah, all right, 26 and a half minutes after eight. Van Ann is our first guest for Happy Hour in 2021. We'll continue my conversation with her in just a couple of moments. Breaking news and courtesy of our sister station, 2TM Tamworth. Good work, Tony Ambrosetti. Tamworth will not host a quarantine facility. In the late evening uh, statement from Deputy Premier John Barillaro, following strong community backlash, the Deputy Premier yesterday confirmed Tamworth will not host a quarantine hub and nor will any other regional area in New South Wales. Uh, The Deputy Premier's office says the option of quarantining seasonal workers was looked at by New South Wales Health and Police, but it posed too great a risk. It comes after community members voiced their concerns at a petition that reached over 1,100 signatures in just under two days, calling for the proposal to be quashed. Uh, Barnaby Joyce, apparently, in an interview with the Northern Daily Leader newspaper was in favour of the idea. (laughs) Well, Barnaby, as usual, sorry, mate, you're well off the mark. First of 2021, we're speaking to classical pianist Van and Nguyen, just a brilliant talent. Uh, Van, now you mentioned your mother was, uh, of course, a classical opera singer. You're a classical pianist. Does that mean you can sing well or not? Uh, no, only in the shower. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, I mean, because you narrated uh, 
throughout the, the series of the songs the other night. And, I mean, you have a beautiful speaking voice. I thought, I wonder whether she can sing as well as she speaks. Well, my mom, I mean, mom's an opera singer. <laughs> she did teach us to sing, but I just, yeah. you know, I just think if you don't have an iconic voice like Mariah Carey, like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <don't>. Well... <laughs> Come on. I mean, there's only one Mariah Carey. Look, I'm sure you're short-selling yourself here. I reckon you'd have an amazing singing voice. But I guess, you know, mum probably has set the bar very high being an opera singer herself. So, Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. So you've played on stages right around the country, obviously, the biggest, Sydney Opera House. But also you've performed in California, in Texas, overseas in in countries including uh, Vietnam, uh, Germany, Italy, Austria, Taiwan. Is there anywhere you haven't played classical piano? Oh, so many places. (laughs) I I have a massive bucket list. So, yeah, it's funny. You know, I haven't played in England. I, I okay. do that. Mm. Yeah, and um, I got to go to Argentina last year um, just fleetingly, um, and I'd love to be able to play in, like, Buenos Aires or something like that. So, yeah, there's, there's a massive list still out there that I'd like to slowly tick off. I mean, it's an amazing career. Uh, am I seeing here correctly you hosted your own television show on Discovery Channel Asia? Yeah, um, I was asked to to join. Um, basically, yeah, I, I was the host of a show. It was a music and travel show. Yeah, where um, I was flown to the Philippines, and we basically I would travel to different cities, and I would meet up with different musicians, and they would show me the city, and then we'd jam out with different styles of music. So sure, basically like an array of. Like, there were rappers, there were pop musicians, there were sort of indie musicians. Yeah, it was a really cool way to to see a country. Yeah. All right. Now, being Friday morning, uh, for my listeners in particular here in Sydney, um, just give me a rundown of what your next couple of weeks looks like. Uh, Where can people uh, buy tickets to see you perform again? So, um... For the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing concerts with the Candlelight series, so mm-hmm. they can jump on the Fever Up website, feverup.com, yep. and um, you pick your city, and uh, I'll be playing the Chopin concerts for the next week, and then the Beethoven ones for the following week up till the 19th. But further on from that, um, uh, in the works will be a little mini Aussie tour. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm which will also be with Candlelight, but it will be through basically all the major cities. So that will be about around April or May. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. All right. You're obviously extremely busy, but you love it, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh. I I love it so much that I don't think it's a job, and then I burn out sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Join the club. Join the club. I feel exactly the same way. I bounce out of bed every morning and and just go until I'm absolutely exhausted. It doesn't feel like a job, and it never does when you're doing what you love. Absolutely. So much fun. Tell me about the Peaceful Piano Essentials, which is your current album. Is that right? Yes. That album I would like to call a COVID project because I was stuck here last year. I shouldn't use the word stuck. I, I just happen to be <laughs> there are worse places probably to be stuck in the world i think absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so um i you know i'd been the, the album 
in the year before was Pop Alchemy, which was a mashup album where I would mash up classical works with pop tunes or, or more familiar tunes. But my core and my foundations has always been classical. So yeah. I really, being being stuck at home, um, I was starting to practice a lot more. I had a lot more time. I wasn't traveling anymore. Sure. And I thought, why not record the most requested classical works that happen all the time for me? Or if people ask, oh, you know, where, where can I find... Uh, a recording of Claire de Lune or something yeah. like, or Moonlight Sonata. And I thought to myself, how ridiculous is it that I've had this many albums and I've not even recorded those works? So I just went into the studio and recorded basically the most requested classical works. And I, I find that these works also are potentially a really beautiful gateway into classical music if you don't know where to look. This is a really lovely introduction um, and, and very calming, hence the title, Peaceful Piano Essentials. I think everybody needed a little bit of, of comfort and, and calming through that very uncertain period of time. So yeah. that's how the album came about. And I love it. It was released in October. Yeah. Well, look, it's been wonderful speaking to you, Van Arn. It's been a pleasure watching you play. And I'm glad I've discovered your talent. Uh, and I want to play a little bit of uh, something from Peaceful Piano Essentials. What are we going to play? I think I'd like um, I'd like to share with everybody the uh, the Nocturne in C sharp minor by Chopin. It's an incredibly beautiful work. And if anyone's watched the movie The Pianist, it was the opening scene of that movie yes. so please enjoy alright lovely to have you on the program thank you so much Van Arn don't forget to check out vanarnofficial.com all the links are up at Marcus Paul in the morning on our socials great to chat look after yourself and you. you're an amazing talent thank you so much thanks for having me Marcus about it for us today thank you for all your company thank you for being a part of the program this week your emails your sms's your texts all the rest of it thank you scruff thank you all right we want to finish with some good news guess what kylie minogue is engaged australian pop star kylie is reportedly engaged to her welsh boyfriend paul solomons the 52 year old pop princess has been dating this bloke since 2018 the news accidentally revealed by singer and actress Billy Piper. There we go. All the best to you, Kylie. Don't believe you know me, although you know my name. I don't believe the false